Greetings from Bishop Aubrey Shines and G2G Ministries in Tampa, Florida. We pray that you would be blessed and encouraged by the biblical message you are about to hear. Today's classic sermon by Bishop Shines is part nine of Fundamental Doctrines, with reference scripture Hebrews chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, and 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 12 through 14, all in the Amplified Classic Translation. The author of this particular book has said, this is the elementary. These are things that every believer should understand. And I'm not saying this to make you feel bad. But if you've been a believer for a period of time, and you've been raised perhaps in church, but you don't know these basic doctrines, it doesn't mean that you don't know Christ. But it does mean that a lot of decisions and a lot of things God wanted to do for you and through you, in a sense, have been put on hold. Because there's never been a a proper foundation to build from. My job is to make sure you have this foundation. And we're going to toil in this thing until you get it. And you are going to get it. And it's going to change your life forever. Would you put your hands together? Give the Lord a hand clap. Come on. Let's go over to Hebrews 6, verse number 1, verse number 2. And let's read this corporately. Come on, read with Pastor. Therefore... Let us go on and get past the elementary stage in the teachings and doctrine of Christ the Messiah, advancing steadily toward the completeness and perfection that belong to what? Spiritual maturity. Let us not again be laying the foundation. Here's here's the first doctrine of what? of repentance and abandonment of dead works, which is dead formalism, and of the faith by which you turn to God, with teachings about purifying the laying on of hands, the resurrection from the dead, and eternal judgment and punishment. These are all matters of which you should have been fully aware long, long ago. Grab someone by the hand. Please look at him or her if you don't mind. Please repeat these words. says, if you are a believer, you are commanded to know these elementary doctrines. Tell them, if you don't, it is time for you and I to grow up and learn God's word. All right, you can be seated. I want you to turn with me, if you don't mind. I want to lay a foundation for you for this because I've been dealing with this doctrine of faith and we've done with uh, the doctrine of repentance. I'm going to get back to some of that in a few weeks, but I'm trying to get through as much of this as I can because I really do want you to have a clear understanding. Would you turn with me, if you don't mind, over to 1 Timothy, the sixth chapter, and we're going to begin reading at the 12th verse, at the 12th verse. I think this will uh, speak volumes. Uh, to exactly what uh, and what we're really called to do as well as to understand. So let's look at 1 Timothy 6, and we're going to begin at the verse 12 in the Amplified Translation. If you can see it, say amen. All right, come on, read with Pastor. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold of the eternal life to which you were summoned and for which you confessed 
the good confession of what? Of faith. Before many witnesses. Next verse. In the presence of God who preserves alive all living things and of Christ Jesus, who is his testimony before Pontius Pilate. What did he do? Made the good confession, I solemnly charge you. Look at verse 14. To keep all his precepts unsullied and flawless, irreproachable, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. What? The anointed one. Now, look, go, go back up to that verse one more time. Look at where I had you to start at the very first clause. Right before the semicolon, you'll see the word fight the good fight of faith. So, please write this down. Part of the doctrine of faith has everything to do what is called you participating in a fight. So, part of your faith doctrine has everything to do with you fighting. I don't want you to leave here and not understand that. As a matter of fact, we have prepared some notes for you. This was from our first service. Those of you that are taking notes, which every believer should be taking notes, look over on your uh, neighbor's lap. If he or she does not have a journal, tell them if you're a believer, you need you a journal. Come on. Come on. I, I know you say it. Tell them you need a journal. Tell them you need to take notes. I don't want you to just reading the scripture. My job is to make sure you are trained to know the scripture. And if you're taking notes, if you're laboring for it, you are going to have a better appreciation for it. So the first note I want to give you is part of the doctrine of faith is learning how to fight spiritually. Make sure you get it. That's why the apostle says to his spiritual son, Timothy, Timothy, uh, the first part of your faith is fighting the good fight of faith. So I don't want you to leave here and assume, well, isn't faith the spoken word? It is the spoken word. But there are words that are spoken that you and I must champion. In other words, we must defend what we are saying. And I'm going to show that to you in just a moment here. So that's the first note. Look and read, uh, write rather, the second note as well. When you begin to fight, there will be a spiritual enemy that will try to find fault with you. Now, I, I need you to write that down for a purpose. And after you write it down, I'll show you why uh, right here in the Scripture. And, and I think it will help you really understand uh, the, the essence of all this. Uh, if you don't mind, keep that Scripture. Uh, and Miles should turn with me or turn over uh, to the Living Translation. And I want us to read it from that translation as well. I think this is going to be something that every believer really does. You really do need to understand this. Everyone look up at the screen. I provided, we provided this translation. Come on, read with pastor with this. Fight the good fight of what? For the true faith, hold tightly to the eternal life to which God has called you, which you have confessed so well before many witnesses. Go to the next verse as well. Let's read this. Come on, read with pastor. And I charge you before God who gives life to all and before Christ Jesus who gave a good testimony before Pontius Pilate. One more verse of scripture. Read with me as well. That you do what? That you obey his command without wavering. Then no one can find fault with you from now until the Lord Jesus Christ comes again. Now watch this. Then part of your fighting is for the purpose that no one can find fault with you. I, I want to interject something here real quick. Finding fault is not just the role of people. I need you to get that. 
Now, Pastor, where do you get that from? The Bible says in the book of Revelation that the devil, Lucifer, is an accuser of the brethren. So then who's doing the accusation? Accusations that come against the believer has its root or its etymology. The word there has its root in what's called satanic areas. And if you need a scripture for that, write down the book of Revelation, but also write down the book of Ephesians. Remember what Paul shared with the Ephesian church where he says, and he showed us the government of Satan. He says, and I'm not talking about a natural government, people. I'm talking spiritual. He said, here's the government, and this is how the government of Satan is set up. He said, there are spiritual wickedness in high places. And these wicked spirits have various entities. So when we're talking about an accusation or when we're talking about uh, someone finding fault, the originator or the person who is inspiring people to find fault actually has its origins in satanic activity. So when you and I are operating in the basic doctrine of faith, it simply means that you have to watch your testimony because your testimony is going to be attacked not by the person that's sitting next to you. That person may be no more than a conduit or a vehicle that Satan is using. But make no mistake about it, your problem is not the person. As a matter of fact, grab someone by the hand and tell them what the Bible says. Tell them my battle is not with you. Come on. Let that hand go grab another hand on the other side and tell him, my battle is not with you. The Bible says that our battle is with principalities and with powers, spiritual wickedness, where? In high places. So when you are battling, working the doctrine of faith, you're about, you know, I don't know why, Pastor, this is not happening in my life. That person over there is coming against me. No, that person may be a vehicle, but that is not your problem. Are you listening to me? I'll say it again. The person that is being used by Satan to bring you down is not your problem. That is the reason Paul said we don't fight against principality or we don't fight against flesh and blood. He says, but we do fight against principalities and powers, spiritual wickedness in high places. In other words, the origin of our battle we will find in the realm of the heaven. So when Paul then is teaching here, Timothy, he's saying, look, when you fight the good fight of faith, your faith, you must understand that what you are saying, what you are confessing, that's why he said, even as Jesus Christ confessed, even before Pontius Pilate, in other words, he didn't change his position because he was about to be put to death. That was a natural dynamic. He said, no, no, no. If you remember the scriptures, even concerning Jesus and the whole death thing, when you read even all in the book of Hebrews, he says, for the joy that was set before him. Speaking of Jesus, he said he was able to accomplish what he was doing. In other words, he wasn't looking at what Pontius Pilate was going to do. He was looking at the bigger picture. And every one of us have a bigger picture. I'm going to prove it in just a moment. So your battle is not with one another. I need y'all to get that. Because so many of you get mad at people. That's not your battle. But they just irritate me. That's not your battle. That person may be, again, a vehicle. In order to bring you down. Do you know that there have been people that have been uh, put in your life to bring you down? <laughs> Some of y'all don't believe it. No, I do good to everyone. Oh, please. Jesus did no bad to anyone. 
But there were principalities that were put in his life to destroy him. The problem is they couldn't win. They thought they had him, we'll kill him. Even death could not hold his purpose down because the moment they killed him, did you not read what Paul said when he was in the city of Corinth? He said, for had the princes known, speaking of demons, had they known that they were killing the hope of glory, they never would have touched him. Why? Because to touch him means he was going to rise again. And when he rose, then he was going to take all power away from them because they violated, I wish I could teach that they violated a principle that they could not have touched that which was already untouchable. And the moment they did it, he actually took the keys that Adam and Eve originally had. They gave it up, forfeited in treason. Jesus came in and said, I got this one. And so had the enemy knew it, they never would have fought him. Let me, let me make it plain. If the enemy knew who you really were, and if you knew who you really were, you would not be fighting against people, but your battle would be focused on something else. Would you give someone a high five and tell them your battle is much bigger than what you're going through? Come on. Your battle is much larger than what you're going through. Let's go a little further. I want to make sure that you get this here. Turn with me, if you don't mind, over to uh, uh, Proverbs, the 22nd chapter. Proverbs 22. In verse number one, it doesn't matter what translation uh, we go to in it. Let's go to the King James just to be in unity here on that. I want you to get this because I want you to see this, uh, the way the scripture has laid it out for each of us. Proverbs 22, verse number one. You see it? All right, come on, read with pastor. Come on, come on, read with me. A good name is what? Then great riches and loving favor... Come on, read it again. A good name is what? Rather to be chosen and loving favor rather than what? Now, pastor, what does this have to do with my faith? The word name there is something that every one of you need to write down. It's a Hebraic word. It's the Hebrew word sim, but it literally means a mark. Please write this down. So it means a mark. Uh, you have it spelled S-H-E-M, and the Hebrew is actually, the way it's translated is actually S-E-M with a hyphen over the E. I'm sorry, I'm a stickler for that. All right, um, so it, it means that, but here's the deal. So when you read it, what's called contextually, when you read it the way that the Scripture is really saying it, it actually reads like this. Your mark, a mark is chosen, or a good name is chosen rather than riches. In other words, for you to be marked is better than you to have all the riches in the world. I love the scripture where Jesus said, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and all of his riches, but yet lose your soul? That word soul doesn't mean just eternally lost. He's really literally saying, what does it profit a person to gain all of the riches in the world, but you lose your identity? Because you can have the identity or you can have, uh, you can have the money, but money doesn't make who you really are. I know a whole lot of rich people, they have no purpose. But don't, don't, get, don't shout too loud. I know a whole lot of poor people don't have purpose either. So it's not, touch your neighbor, tell your neighbor, it's not about your money. So it's about your mark. So when you understand it, he's talking about a mark. Now, how does this then tie into your faith? If, if the Lord is saying that I want your name to be marked, I want you to understand something. When you and I are marked, that means that when you go into an area of influence, and I want to pause, I want to slow down just a little bit. I want to make sure you get this. Every time there is a door of influence that is open in your life, it is designed by God. Don't, don't, don't miss that. 
Every area of influence, you may want to write that down, every area of influence, whether it's your job, whether it's a community organization, whether it's your school, whether it's, it's your family, whatever it is, as a believer, you and I are marked by God. You have been marked by the blood of Jesus Christ. So everywhere you go, you're marked. Now, I want y'all to get a visual here. That means then that when you walk into an area, I don't care what that area of influence is in your life, the moment you walk in, that which is demonic sees something on you that you cannot see on yourself. So when you walk in a place, you're already marked. Go back to Proverbs 22 and 1. A good name or a mark is better than all the riches in the world. In other words, what the proverb writer is doing, Solomon is doing, he's contrasting riches. He didn't say that when you come in, when you are all blinging out, that's your mark. Because people can fake bling. You know, a lot of people wear fake gold all the time. <laughs> The old folks used to say, everything that's glitter ain't gold. So you can look like you got it on the outside. That's all he's really saying. But it has nothing to do with what's on the inside. You flossing don't make you anything other than a flosser. You pulling up in your big ride don't mean that you a big ride. You having a big house had nothing to do with who you are. Anybody can do it. Steal it. You can get it. Come on. It's not about, so he's talking about an internal issue. So when you walk in, what he's saying is, your, your, who you are is not what you wear. Who you are is spiritual. So then when you walk in a place, I need you to see this, people. When you walk in a place, even though your natural eyes cannot see it, demonic forces, go back to Ephesians 6, for, the, for how is demonic forces set up? By principalities, powers, and spiritual wickedness in high places. When you walk in, do you really think the devil goes, oh, I better leave him alone. He's got a big gold chain around his neck. I better leave her alone. Uh, she's wearing St. John and she's wearing Chanel shoes. That's all right. Somebody shouted on that. My God. Now, that doesn't, there's nothing wrong with those things, people. That's not what I'm saying. But that's not what demonic spirits look at. They're looking at who is this Mark person coming in with this blood that's on them. So what your eyes can't see, demonic forces are seeing. That's why when you go into places, all of a sudden, what was normal in your life, now you're being under attack. And you're trying to figure out, what did I do? I just started working here. I just came here. What, why is everything, to, why ain't nothing working out? You're marked. And when you mark, the enemy's job is to take your faith away from you. And if now you've, watch this, you confess, I know that God wants me here. I know that God is going to bless me to do this. I know that my feet are ordered of the Lord. I know that the Lord gives me blessings that he will not take back. I know that no weapon formed against me shall prosper. Every tongue that rises up against me, even in judgment, that shall I condemn for. This is the heritage of the servant of the Lord. You can quote all you want the moment you walk the enemy says I got her and now I'm going to make her change her testimony and now what was yours now you're backtracking 
Maybe it wasn't God to give me in the first place. Maybe I'm not in the right situation. What are you doing? You are taking your testimony away from when God said, I made you the head and not the tail. I didn't put you in this situation for you to backtrack. Would you give someone a high five and tell them, stop moving backwards? When you and I walk in, there is a mark the enemy sees. Don't you remember your stories in the scripture? Remember when Jesus, Jesus hadn't even opened up his mouth. Jesus walks into the city and the moment he walks in, there's a demonic man that they've had to tie up because he's so full of demons. And before demon, Jesus never said anything to him. Before Jesus said anything, what did the Bible say? The demons begin to scream out, Jesus, we know who you are. Have you come here to torment us before our time? Jesus didn't say anything. Jesus could have said, I didn't even say none of you, Satan. But the mark was on him. Look at two people sitting around you and tell them, if you're born again, tell them you're marked for greatness. Come on. Come on, touch another person. Tell them it's not what you're going through. Tell them it's the mark that's on you. All right. Do y'all get that? I want to take you a little further. Let's go just a little further. If you don't mind, go to the next verse of Scripture. Go with me to Deuteronomy 2 and 24. Deuteronomy 2, and we're going to look at the 24th verse. I want to make sure you're getting this because your faith is tied into your name. Deuteronomy 2, verse number 24. Let's make sure that we get this here. All right, can you see it? Let's go both to the amp. Uh, as well as, well, you know what, let's do this. Let's, let's go over to the KJV for this. And I'll just keep some continuity with this scripture here. Now, note what it says. Rise up, rise ye up rather. Take your journey and pass over the river of Arnon. Behold, I have given into thine hand Sion, the Amorite, king of Heshbon, and his land. I've given this to you. Begin, watch this, he's talking to believers, begin to possess it and contend with him in the battle. Now, let me pause before I go to the, the, the after the semicolon. Every fight means that there is some contention there. That word contend is a military term. This is the reason why I know it's a pretty song, people sing it, but it's just not a biblical song. I'm sorry. I know it's a gospel song, but it's just wrong. Every battle that we say, it ain't mine, it's the Lord's. That's a lie. Most battles are yours. I thought it was the Lord's. Do you really think the Lord is sitting somewhere worried about an enemy and he's got to go fight? Honey, he's already won this battle. You better go back and read the scripture. He won the battle and made a mockery of his enemy by parading him in the streets after he had resurrection. He won that battle, yet he partners with you and I and say, if you're going to do something, watch it, go back to the word, you must learn to contend. That is a military term. You need to write it down. That means that you have a responsibility in your faith doctrine battle. In other words, you just can't speak the word. You got to be active in fighting in the word. 
You can't just say it. Well, I thought my faith was just speaking, calling those things that are not as though they were. Remember, when you're studying scripture, you cannot eisegete the scripture. In other words, you can't interpret it based on your own knowledge. You must have a body of literature that actually equals more of the scripture. You can't take a scripture and let it mean what you want it to mean. You need numerous scriptures. Matter of fact, the law of the scripture is out of the mouths of two to three witnesses. Let every word be established. If there's not a triune a dynamic that's involved in scripture, you can't even interpret it properly. So what we do is we take a scripture and we say it. Well, the Bible says just speak it. That's not what it just says. It says speak it and fight for it at the same time. As a matter of fact, I'm not teaching it here today, but I used to preach a message across this nation uh, entitled Warring in Four-Year Prophecies. He says, remember the prophetic words speaking to his son, Timothy. He says that's been given. He says, Timothy, learn to war over what has been prophesied in your life. In other words, yes, it's been spoken. Doesn't this sound familiar? It's the same thing really that Daniel went through. When you read the word of the Lord, Daniel read the scroll. He knew that the fulfillment of the prophecy he was after 70 years but know what happened the bible says for there came a king that word king is interpreted to mean a demonic force and it was a prince in the area of tyre god i'm in the scripture this morning and it says in this principality spirit began to fight daniel even though daniel knew that the word of the lord was formed the bible says daniel went on a fast and then an angel showed up and said daniel we knew what the word of the lord was already but there came a king that opposed us and we began to fight and god sent michael the archangel and when Michael began to deal with that rascal, that word came down and now the fulfillment is there. In other words, even though there is a prophecy or a word or faith that has been given to you as a believer, there are some battles you and I are going to have to do. You can't just speak it and leave it alone. You got to speak it and keep speaking it and declaring it and letting the enemy know this is mine. I'm not taking it back. Now, the moment you do it, it doesn't mean the enemy's going to go, okay, I'll stop now. Have you read what happened to Jesus when Jesus was on that 40-day fast? Remember the story? The Bible says he's on a fast. He was hungry. And what happened? Satan came to him and began to tempt him in multiple areas. Notice what Jesus did not do. He didn't just say, leave me alone, Satan. I already know what's going to happen. He began to battle with Satan. But he battled with the word. And everything that Satan tried to do, why didn't Jesus just say, well, Satan, come on. You already know what's going to happen, man. Get away from me. That's it. And go to sleep. The Bible says every time Satan came, Jesus kept saying, it is written. In other words, that was his confession. Let me tell you what it said. Satan said, well, if you're hungry, why don't you just turn these bricks into stuff? Because it is written, no man can do this, and, and, and you ain't going to tip me. In other words, everything that happens in your life, in the area of your realm of faith, listen to me, believer, you must learn to battle it. And if you're not going to fight in your faith, a lot of things that God has for you, you're never going to get it. Even though he has it for you, why? Because you're not willing to roll up your spiritual sleeves and you're not willing, really willing to get into the battle. See, some things only come through a challenge. When they play today, do you think one team is just going to lay down? Do you think Elder's team is just going to win because they've been there seven times? There are some nasty birds out of Georgia coming to get them. I don't know how that got in there. <laughs> them birds flying in there to Houston today. And that Ryan and that boy that plays wide receiver, good Lord, have Mo Julio, Julio Jones, whatever. Julio is in the house. Julio is going to be, why? Why? Because they're not just going to believe we're going to lose because you've been here before. 
Can I make it spiritual? The enemy is not going to let you have something just because you say you go to church. Look at your neighbor and say, bless your little pretty heart. You go to church. That doesn't mean jack to the enemy. The enemy will look at you and say, oh, you go to church? Good. Then I'm going to really knock you out because if I can knock you out in church, it'll discourage you from ever going back to church and you'll never bring anybody with you to church. Therefore, church will become obsolete. Here's the problem. There's some dirty birds in the house. We're going to beat back the enemy and we're going to let them know we're going to win this battle whether he fights us or not. That's not a ploy. That's not me picking one team or the other. I already know who's going to win. Let's go a little further. <laughs> Does he really know? Well, we're going to let you figure that one out in a minute here. Come on and go back with me to the scripture. I want you to see this. Go back up over to uh, Deuteronomy one more time. I really want you to get this. And I'm going to give you something to write down here in just a moment. Now note what it says. Uh, after the semicolon, he says, begin to possess it and contend with him in the battle. Watch verse 25. This day, this is very important, believers. Look at verse 25. This day will I begin to do what? Put the dread of you. All right, stop right there. Note what God is saying. He said, when you begin to operate in faith, now you got to pay attention to this. He says, I'm going to put the fear. The King James uses the word dread. It means death. He says, I'm going to scare people to death. But notice who he's talking about. He says, about my people. Come on, y'all are not seeing that. Come on, let's go to the scripture. You got to see it. Look at verse 25. Come on, read it with me out loud. This day will I begin to do what? Put the dread of you and the fear of you upon who? That are under the whole heaven who shall hear the report of who? Of you. And shall what? Tremble and be in anguish because of who? Please write this down for a subtopic for this Deuteronomy 2, 24, 25. This is God working with you. Now, I got to give you a bigger picture as I did in the first service. God calls believers to impact nations. Part of the doctrine of faith is understanding that God is working with you. Y'all got to hear this. When you do what God has called you to do, do you know that God's intention is to impact spiritual nations about who you are? My pastor, I can't see that. I, I, I'm just barely getting along in my house. I'm barely making it on my job. You know what? You're thinking too small. You think that your life only consists of a little job that you're at? Don't let God put you in a situation where that job is blown on. And you don't have that job. You know why? It's not God tempting you. But God's not going to let you have an idle, uh, uh, idle job before him. And if you put more hope and faith in your job, God has a way of blowing on that job. And I don't care how educated you are. You can lose your job and never get that job again. Your little business can be blown out the window. I don't care how much knowledge you have. The moment you put yourself above what God is really trying to do, God will have no idol before him. And he's not going to let you resurrect anything or anybody or any entity to be before him. So God is always going to be glorified. Therefore, he's never going to let you depend upon that job more than you 
you depend upon him. As a matter of fact, if I was really testifying, a whole lot of you would be able to say that when you did not really have the ends to make ends meet, when you were really trusting God, God still made a way for you. And it had nothing to do with your job. As a matter of fact, I could go on a little further. I guarantee you, if you begin to examine your life, that you will find that God was in your life working in your behalf. And when you didn't have all of the necessary favor, God still gave you the favor. God made sure you had everything you needed before you ever got to where you are right now. So your life is not dependent upon your title of your job. So go back to this here. Know what he says here. He says something very, very clear. He says, look, he says, I'm going to make nations afraid of you. I said I wasn't going to do it. I'm not going to go here politically. I'm not going to touch it. But I prophesied a long time ago we would be known across this nation. When I wrote that one video, four minutes and 20-some seconds long, it went in 60 million households. 60 million households saw what we were doing here. Well, how could that happen? We don't have 20,000 members, don't need it. The Bible says 12 men turn the world upside down. You better go back and read your scripture. God don't need a whole lot of folk, just need some obedient folk that say, I'm going to stand and do what you call me to do. And bless the name of the Lord, we're going to win this victory. See, God is looking to make your name, listen, fearful in the ears and eyes of your enemies. Are you listening to me? Who then is your enemy? The enemy is anything that opposes your purpose. You need to write that down. What is your purpose, mom? Your purpose, dad, is to make sure that your children's children have the same idea of God that you do. But pastor, they've gone in the wrong direction. It has nothing to do with where they're going. Raise up that child in the way they should go. And when they're old, they're not going to depart from that way. Doesn't mean they won't go in a bad area. But it means that as a father, as a mother, you keep speaking the word of faith and entity over in the life of your children. What does it mean for your finest spirit? it. Declare what God has said. I am going to be the head and not the tail, but I don't have it right now. It ain't got nothing to do with what you have right now, but it has everything to do with what God has already said. God is in control and if he's in control of your life, there is no weapon that's going to be formed against you that's ever going to be able to prosper. Why? Because this is your heritage and when you begin to say what God is saying, there's not an enemy that can stop it. The only person that can stop you, listen, write this down, is you. It's with what you confess contrary to what God has already said. But, ooh, that's a battle, Pastor. Then go back to Timothy. Fight the good fight of faith. This is why I'm telling you there is a fight. People of God, don't think I'm old and foggy when I say this. Please hear my heart. You cannot speak the word of life and then sing words of death over your life in the name of entertainment. I said in the first service, and, I, you know, take it how you want to. The little beautiful girl, uh, Beyonce. Come on, say amen. No, no, don't, don't, y'all, don't y'all be that way. Well, she got a devil. I mean, the girl, she's still beautiful. Oh, Lord, I got a bunch of self-righteous people. You all ought to be ashamed of yourself. But if that girl in seven minutes just broke the uh, Guinness World Records simply because she put in there she was pregnant, and she don't serve your God, by the way. Don't get it twisted. I know who she's serving. It ain't, it ain't Jehovah. It is not the God of the scripture. She's into a whole lot of gods. 
I got the facts on it. I know y'all don't like it because you think you jamming to it. You jamming to some demonic stuff, don't even know you jamming. You got your little groove on and you shaking your groove thing to some. you don't even know what you shaking to. Whole nother issue, I deal with you on another time. Tell your neighbor, come back at another time, I deal with you on that there. If she can do that in the name of her God, then what about your God? If God wants you and I to be, do you not know that God can put something in your spirit that can change the very land in which you're living in? Do you not know that God has desired to birth something in you, regardless of where you've come from, that God wants to use to cause other nations to hear that he has a son or daughter over in Tampa, Florida? I know you say, I can't get my hand around it. Good. That means that it's too big for you to give birth to it by yourself. You need a God to help you bring forth what God is putting you. God's desire is to put something in your spirit that is so large that it'll take you eternity to give birth to it. Your name is, should be feared among everywhere. When you walk in, demons and devils, I feel God in this place, should begin to try. When you sense in your spirit, you walk in the room, ooh, what's wrong in here? Don't you run out of that room. You stay right in that room. I've shown up now. I'm in the name of the Lord. I'm not leaving. I'm not going anywhere. And whatever is opposing me is going to come down. Why? Because I know that God sent me here, and I'm not going to move until the purpose of God is fulfilled. Man, that takes some fighting. In other words, you got to begin to battle over what God has said. Can I ask you a question? Please write it down. Please write this down. What has God put in your spirit to do? See, that's the real question. What has God put in your spirit to do? Now, listen, listen. If you minimize it to something only in the area of a relationship, I got news for you. Then Satan's going to attack that relationship. Because what you've done is you put the purpose of God in the person and not in the God of the person. <laughs> so when he or she don't treat you right, your life falls apart. Are you kidding me? I just feel like ending my life over what? Have you lost your mind up in here? He don't love me anymore. And I'm looking for. Other. Anyway, here's the deal. You don't allow anyone. Or anything to define you because God has already defined you. There is nothing, no principality, power. Romans 8. Angels. Nothing shall separate you from what God has put in you. How do you get out of you what God has put in you? Please write this down. You must cultivate it by the words that you speak. Thank you. Y'all just tying up my shoes. He's a good man, ain't he? What, you thought I was going to fall, Elder? <laughs> Thank you, sir. This is, this is how we serve one another. Man can't stand to see my shoe untied. Man, if I fall, I get up again. The Bible says a good man will rise seven times. Thank you, sir. <laughs> but this is how we serve one another. Now, watch this. Let me use this analogy. The way he just served me is why it is important to have people around you. Watch this to help serve your vision. I didn't say make them subservient to you because now you're on a pride kick. Now you're on this manipulation thing. You don't put people in your life to fulfill your destiny, but you do put people in your life that will encourage both of your destiny. You know, the Bible says that the threefold cord is it's hard to break that thing. So if we're hand in hand, that's another reason why Matthew 19, 18 also says that when two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of you. That's why when we are unified speaking the same thing, 
it is easier for us to get the job done. Even though the enemies may surround me, a thousand in my right hand and ten thousand in my left, none of these are going to come near me. Who speaks like that? A child of God. When you know who you are, you're not deterred by what you see. So you must cultivate. So let me close here. Please write this down. Please ask yourself this question. How much time do you put into cultivating what God has put in you? How much time do you put in it? Now, I, I don't want to become a legalist. I got to get out of here. I got to close. My second service is over, but I want to leave this with you. I'm not saying that there is a certain prescription. I don't know what that time is. It, it may be three minutes a day. It may be 13 minutes a day. It may be 30 minutes a day. I don't know. I don't know. And I don't want to ever get into what I've come out of, which was legalism that made it one hour every day. That's not God. That's legalism. Because God doesn't take an hour, but he may take 10. I'm just trying to get you to open yourself up to understand if God have put something in you, please hear me, people of God. Every day of your life, every day of your life, you must invest something in that area of faith if you're going to operate and have your name to be great. I didn't say go seek to make your name great by form and uh, uh, fortune. I've already discounted that out of Proverbs 22 and 1. Your mark is what God has put in you. Whatever he has impregnated in your spirit, now it's your responsibility in faith to begin to add to what he's doing. In other words, God has started something in you. He's going to finish it, but what's your role in it? How much time do you put in it? If there's an area that you know that God is calling you into, how much time do you research in it? You know, here's the reality. When I had you all on that fast, y'all learned something. That 10 minutes was deep. A lot of you are coffee drinkers. <laughs> <laughs> Bonnie, too. You have a friend up here, LaShawn. I want you to know y'all twins. Y'all just don't know it yet. There were some people struggled in a whole lot of areas. Some of us, like me, I, I struggled not being able to digest news because part of what I do in interviews and all that culminates on me knowing what's going on. So I had to kind of go in there blindly and deal with principles and all that. But what it taught you was that you could do some things that you didn't know that you thought was simple. When I first told you 10 minutes of this and 10 minutes of that, oh, that's going to be easy. I bet you if I ask you to raise your hands, how many know after about three or four days there was a challenge? Look at all the hands going up. But it was simple in 10 days. Everybody thought, eh, no problem. Now, if you all have not been here a long time, you'd understand why people would have thought that. Because they're accustomed to going on 21-day fast with just raw vegetables and fruits. See, you don't hang around people like me and not go through real serious extremes. Keep hanging around me. I'll have you bungee jumping pretty soon with me. Look, at my elder said, I love you. I'm going to tap your shoe, bro, but I ain't bungee. I'm just, I asked Elder, once you bungee jump with me? He said, Pastor, I love you, but I'm not jumping off that rope. He said, that rope ain't done nothing to me. <laughs> I'll never forget that. He said, no, I'm not going up there, tie some around, and then fall. Oh, it's beautiful. Let me tell you, it'll free you. Look at some of your faces, y'all, like the blood of Jesus, the blood, the blood. Don't rebuke me. But see, what you invest into is what you become. If you want your faith to really work for you, people, God, you have to learn how to battle. 
This is why I'm taking my time to teach this. So many of us have had tremendous experiences doing great things. But we didn't just get it because God one day favored and said, okay, I'm going to let you do this. He gave us something, but then we had to be in an environment where it was cultivated. Cultivating what God has put in you is the only way you're going to become what God wants you to become. How many of you are parents here? Let me see your hands. How many know as your children grow, you give them lessons that they may not even understand are lessons? Would you stand up? Every one of you, men, everyone, everyone here. I got to close. I've told this story before, actually many times. Before my dad died, my parents lived very well, had great businesses and all that stuff. So I'm about 15 or 16. Thanks, Marla. I'm about that age, and my tailpipe, Deacon Ellis, uh, was hanging. And I wanted my father to pay for it, you know, put it in the shop where he takes his Cadillac. I wanted my little rusty car to be taken care of. And they wouldn't do it, but they didn't say why. They said, no, I'm not going to do that. And in my mind, see, I lived in an era of time where you couldn't talk back. You wouldn't have known me. (laughs) <laughs> they would have made sure I met Jesus, even though I didn't know him. Um, so I just didn't understand it. I'm thinking, I don't understand why he won't just have me to take my car up to the shop and get my car fixed. Well, I got tired of my car sparking. People pulling over, hey, man, your car going to blow up. Why? Because when your tailpipe hit the concrete, sparks. People, oh, man, your gas going to blow up. And so I thought, something's got to happen. He won't fix my car. I didn't understand it. I went into their closet and took out a bunch of wire hangers and took some wire pliers. I braided up this harness, and I got real dirty, got up under the ground, under the ground, backhand, right side, and I began to tie it, got me some wire cutters, cut it, had it up there pretty secure. I was good. Sparky was gone. A few days later, I don't know if it was my mom or dad. I really don't remember. I remember my dad saying something to me about it, though. He said, so, Aubrey, I see you took your car to get it fixed. I said, no, Dad. He said, well, what happened? I didn't know it was a game. It was a great lesson, though. I said, I got tired of it hanging. He said, oh, I see. So how'd you fix it? I told him what I did. I took your hangers. And he said, oh, you became creative, huh? I said, yeah. He said, you know, necessity is the mother of creation. And I didn't understand that for a long time. But what he was saying is when you have a need, all of a sudden you become very creative. When I told him what I did, he was very proud of me. He said, now take your car on up to such and such shop. They're going to fix it. I said, no, it's fixed. He said, no, that's patchwork. He says, now I want to do it right. I said, well, Daddy, why didn't you just do it, help me in the first place? He says, because if I never let you grow up, And if you never find a way, you're always going to be dependent on me. He says, son, you must learn to fight for what you get. And if you don't fight for it, you're never going to get it. I never forgot that. I'm 16-ish years of age. But it was a lesson that has stayed with me now for decades. It's the same faith principle. How many are believing God for something, whether it's finance, children, relationship, whatever it is? Can I suggest something to you? Speak it. God puts it in you, but don't you ever take it back. But it don't look like it's going to happen. Then you better question whether or not God said it. But if God said it, 
God's going to bring it to pass. He's not going to bring it to pass because you make one confession and that's it. Some of these things are going to force you into a, a spiritual place where you're fighting for what you say you believe. Every time the enemy says, it ain't going to happen for him. It's not going to happen for him. You can pray for them all you want. It's not going to happen. Rebuke the devil and begin to speak the word of faith. It's going to happen because the Lord said it's going to happen. Never take back, I feel God in this place, your faith. When God says, I'm going to bring something to pass, man, get around two or three people and say, we're going to stand with you in agreement until we see this thing manifest. That's fighting in the area of your faith. How many ready to go to the next level? Would you close your eyes, lift up your hands? Would you repeat this with me? Say, Father, forgive me of all my sin, every transgression. Say, I believe over 2,000 years ago, you died. Three days later, you were resurrected. Say it like you mean it. I believe because of your blood, I'm not only cleansed, but in your word, I have been washed. And I believe what you have put in my spirit to do, as impossible as it may seem, from this day forward, I confess, I will see it come to pass. Healing is mine. Restoration is mine. Breakthrough is mine. Everything that you have said to me, I will not move. I will be unmovable, unshakable. I will abound in his grace. And from this day forward, I confess out loud, it will come to pass. I will fight and my faith will activate my victory. If you really believe it, put your hands together and give the Lord a hand clap. Come on. If you really believe it. Come on, don't just patty cake them. David said clap. We hope this message has been a blessing in your life. To hear more inspiring, transformative messages, visit glorytoglory.org and make sure you follow and like us on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram.